0: Why am I with c Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries.
1: Yeah, they helped me out real fast.
0: Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. c For all of us. To consider if c is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS.
2: I had to go about it, write it out.
0: It's the final word, story time. Adam Collins back with Jeff Lemon, who's finished editing his book over the last couple of days. I'm sitting deep within the bio-secure bubble here at the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton, looking out on my balcony at the ground, which I must say, Jeff, is a quite bizarre experience, having um, been working four or five rooms down the hall last night on commentary. And when you, I mean, it's a, the enduring joke on Twitter, but the easiest commute in showbiz. But, um, yeah, waking up this morning, drawing the curtains and seeing the Australian team kicking the Sharon around As you know, having been on many tours as well, there's one consistent theme of every time Australia play away, it's kicking the footy at every possible opportunity. So that's been a lot of fun. But for your part, uh, having finished the book, sent off
1: the manuscript and edited the damn thing, you must feel pretty good. Oh, I I just feel exhausted. But, you know, like it it is a massive weight being lifted. I was finishing it off last night Australian time when we're recording this while the game was going that you were at and sort of keeping an eye on a a bit of that T20 while I was going through the the documents and just just doing the last tidy ups but by that point I'd I'd done about three all-nighters in a row with sort of the kind where you sleep for an hour or two at 10 in the morning or something and then just wake up and keep going because it's like you've got to you've got to go through the entire book and just just fix everything that's a little bit off just be like oh this sentence could be slightly tighter if I did this or did that and so it's it's just such annoying little work but it takes forever but I was watching that game as well and, and this that that weird feeling that it was sort of club cricket that it was you know that sort of hit, <laughs> hit the ball into the stands and then take 10 minutes while someone goes to find the ball it was it was bizarre but like it was nice to see Australia playing cricket again But it also just didn't seem real At the same time
0: Yeah there is a sense of that So to paint a picture Of how it's set up We're on level one And on level two Of the Australian players Sort of right above me I think Aaron Finch Is one over to my left And David Warner A couple over from there So yesterday We're kind of talking Over the balcony To each other And then on the other side um, There's Marnus Labuschagne, Josh Hazelwood And I think Uh, I think it was Riley Meredith, who were standing together, who they didn't have the vests on last night. They were the sort of non-playing subs as part of the extended squad. But watching them cheer the players on, yeah, I did have that sort of club cricket feel, to the extent to which when Josh Butler hit that massive six in the second over, I think it was, back into the hotel, almost all the way into the hotel, they're like, no, 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 just over there, Kano, just over there, Richo, no, no, to your left, to your left. That was, to me, uh, one of the best bits of the entire (laughs) evening, really. But yeah uh, obviously the 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 intensity of the cricket is clearly there uh, but it is very odd especially when you're not watching it on television when the when the sounds pumped in you know we're used to having the the artificial crowd noise when you're just watching it it does yeah it's a throwback it doesn't feel quite the same but uh, we'll talk a lot more about that I'm sure on the weekly show on Tuesday or Wednesday
1: everything feels weird today feels weird I, I... I feel, I feel really nice, um, you know, f- fell asleep at about six in the morning after working all night, woke up in time to do some research into story time numbers and now I'm sitting here, got a glass of wine, going to record a show, uh, it's going it's to go out a day late and I'm like, great, everything about this is good.
0: Everything's good about it. I wonder just how many book chapters or how many uh, important works have, have occurred between the hours of sort of, you know, 2am and 6am. And I know you've done all a lot of, of your best work. <laughs> in that time but for all the planning for all the research for all of the note taking and interviewing and transcribing and all that legwork that that we have Mm -hmm. to do in this job how often it comes down to gotta meet a deadline by 9 o'clock the next morning after the deadline would have been close of business the night before but of course close of business the night before in our language really means 9 o'clock the next morning and you power through the evening I remember the book that I contributed to the ghostwriting of some years ago a lot of that was written at a similar time of night and I don't think it's Necessarily a procrastination thing, although that's part of it. It's just that that's usually when you're riding the quickest because you really want to get to sleep after, you know, having
1: burnt the midnight oil. Yeah, and sometimes it's just that's the time that's left. You know, you, you go, well, mm. I could, if I if I do this sensibly in six hour chunks, it's going to take ten days, or I can do it in three days if I just put the foot down and and that's what you need to do sometimes so look I I hope I hope at the end of my life whenever that may be if there's a memorial to my name I hope it says did his best work between 2am and 6am that's all I could ask for (laughs) did his best work after midnight is that uh, Sam Newman (laughs) CD that went out (laughs) can't believe we're talking about uh old Uncle Sam on this show anyway look I just just he he comes up as being just one of the worst people, the worst human beings <laughs> ever created, um, just made worse and worse by the life that he's had and all of the latitude that he's been given. But, um, you know, he just continues to be even worse, like sharing, sharing Melbourne with, with someone like that. I'd need to point out the thing that I found a few weeks ago while also procrastinating was there was a letter that was written to the paper, to the age, I think, in 19... 19- 18 or 1919 during the um, the Spanish Flu epidemic and it was it was written in by Fosse Newman Fossey Newman was Sam Newman's grandfather, and it was all about how this flu was a hoax, uh, and that no one really had it anyway, and that we were all panicking and, and overreacting, and it had turned Melbourne into a ghost town. Melbourne had been reduced to a village, and we needed to stop these restrictions, stop listening to these doctors at the hospitals, uh, and get people <laughs> back out into the world to work. So, what do you know? I mean, genetics is a wonderful thing.
0: How did you? I, I saw you tweet that out, and I, I wondered how you was that. Was that via your dad uh, going through and going through the archives, or was that that something just came to mind for you yeah he's,
1: he my old man spends a lot of time on trove which is the mm. the scanned newspaper archives of everything that was published in in Melbourne from, from the earliest days when things were put down on print in the 1800s. So there, there isn't much that was in the age or the Argus <laughs> that he doesn't know about. So, yes, that, that put me on the scent. <laughs> Fantastic, Jeff. The
0: reason we're here on, on the weekend in story time is indeed to go through a whole bunch
1: of... Nerd Pledge! Oh, history, stories, the game of nerds, the game of pledges. It started out as a game that we played with people on our patron page where they would they would try to support the show by sending us not a normal amount of dollars and cents but a, a cricket related amount of dollars and cents a number that related to cricket and then we would try to work out what the number is and then it morphed into this walk down the halls of, of cricketing history maybe we could sort of do a, an intro song we could write a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air style intro about how it came to be and put that to music in shows to come We'll I'll, I'll, I'll turn my mind to that in the days ahead now, you put that out there, someone will write that based on uh, some
0: of the corris- brilliant correspondence we've had recently. So if you want to write a song to the, to the music of the Fresh Prince of Bell and Storytime,
1: be our guest. Please. Um, and what, what we've got, what we start with is some of the new numbers, some of the, well, some of the numbers that have been on the waiting list because things take a little while to work their way through the system, sometimes at Final Word Studios, and then we'll uh, revisit a few that we may have got wrong in previous weeks and look at some of the correspondence. But let us start today. Let's start with a number that came in from Evan Willis. Uh, thank you Evan. The number that he put into Nerd Pledge was $3.83. When I saw 3.83, of course I first thought Ian Botham's tally of test wickets, which was the world record at one point, 383. Uh, It's now less than half of the world record, which is pretty extraordinary. (laughs) Uh, But Evan's messages that he sent indicated that that was not likely to be Ian Botham. Uh, Evan made the point in strong terms that he was a Victorian and that it might be linked to that in some way. So I, I know that when it comes to Vic's trivia, you're the guy more than me. So I was like... Adam 383 you sort this out.
0: Yeah, which makes me feel a bit a, a bit vulnerable because I haven't quite got to a Victorian <laughs> I love talking you up before one that
1: you haven't actually solved. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's a real well, look, prick I, move,
0: I, isn't it? it? <laughs> it it's Definitely not going to be Brett Lee, who was the 383rd... A great Victorian. In, um, <laughs> One of the great Victorians, Brett Lee. Although I did enjoy during the week when uh, Tony <laughs> Abbott was appointed to the trade board over here. Uh, and, you know, it been sliced and diced accordingly and our international reputation continues to be trashed whenever his name is mentioned. But it, all the videos of Brett Lee endorsing Abbott last year and supporting him on social media and all that got another run, which I, I did have a good giggle at. Another bad one for Australia is the 2010 Ashes at Brisbane, where, of course, England make 5.17 for one in the second innings, but 383 was the cumulative amount of runs, cumulative number of runs, that the four frontline bowlers went for in that innings without taking a wicket. So Johnson. Siddle, and Doherty uh, took naught for 383. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, in the second that's innings. a number. So maybe,
1: there's, maybe that's a Victorian link in that Siddle takes six for and the hat trick in the first innings and there then contributes go. to the none for 383 in the second innings.
0: Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. And I suppose for, for better news, and this is an anniversary really, by the time we put this podcast out, it'll be the anniversary of when Australia set England 383 to win at Manchester last year. Of course, England fell about. A hundred runs short and they weren't able to save the test match. They were about eight overs away from doing that. But it did mean that Australia retained that urn. At Old Trafford this time last year when the hosts were set 383. So a few opportunities for Evan to come back to us on the patron DMs, which we encourage you to do if you've made a nerd pledge and we've discussed your number and we haven't quite arrived where you want us to. Give us another clue. Prod us in the right direction. Indeed, just tell us outright what it is if you want to cut to the car
1: chase. We're, we're there for you. I prefer the prodding, the nudging. You know, just nudge us, just... just it, it's it's Hansel and Gretel, you know. It's a trail of crumbs through the statistical forest, and and we will stupidly follow that to the house of the witch, uh, to it to our detriment or hers.
0: Uh, Speaking of uh, 383 at Manchester last year I neglected to mention off the top And I hope you concur with me on this Jeff uh, That later in the episode we're going to hear from Patrick Cummins Who of course was so uh, instrumental in Australia Bowling England out in that final innings at Manchester Two wickets before the close on the fourth evening Uprooting Joe Roots off stump if I recall correctly We had a lovely chat with Pat about this time last year And we thought, well I thought And again I hope you agree Because we have not talked about this before the show
1: That that would be the interview We'll reboot at the end of the this week's story time I trust you uh, I would like to think that our listeners trust us. Uh, so if they put their trust in me, I put my trust in you. What you've decided, that that works. That works for me. Look, it, it, it was at Derby where we did that interview just before the Old Trafford test. So that's relevant. You're you're in a camp. You're stuck in a hotel, a ground with a hotel with Patrick Cummins right now. Manchester was a ground with a hotel where Patrick Cummins was there and you were there and I was there. So I think it all works out. I think it all comes together. Uh, so so that's, that's where we arrived from Evan Willis. The second number on the list today. This was a very good number, Adam. This came in from Jeff Moritz. And and the number the number has has three numerals in it. The first of those numerals is a 2. The second of those numerals is a 2. And the third of those numerals is a 2. 222. It is the birth of Nerd Pledge number. Mm. The the 2 222 or the 2 for 22 at T of Richie Benno that was the first non-standard number ever put through on Patreon by none other than Philip Meng the uh, unwitting father of Nerd Pledge. If we ever... I, I know we did a Hall of Fame during the, Ash, the the World Cup and the Ashes last year on the Daily Show, but if we have a sort of permanent final word Hall of Fame on the website or something, a very good shout for the first entrant would, would be Philip Ming, who accidentally invented Nerd Pledge by just deciding to put in a funny number. We talked about that number being funny. A couple of other people put in funny numbers. We talked about them and over a year later, we have an entire second show, which is a spin-off dedicated <laughs> to talking about these funny numbers. So that's where it works, the, the, the Philip Meng link to 222. I also noticed that back in 2014 in Bowral, surprise, surprise, it was uh, Elise Perry and Meg Lanning batting together. In a chase against the West Indies, they ended up in their chase scoring 222 for the loss of two wickets. So they were the full Richie, 222 for two. That was their and final score two, 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 two in a run seven. chase. That was it was mm. beautiful. That that's how it worked out. It's also, I think, as we've mentioned before, Nathan Astle versus England made 222, which is. Still the fastest double century ever made, 153 balls to make that double. They were chasing 550 in the second innings and they fell less than 100 short. They were 90-something short uh, by the time he was finished with that innings um, at Christchurch where Brendan McCullum later set the fastest test 100 record that you and I saw him do. So uh, all of that comes together. Don Bradman at Leeds in 1930, his triple... Uh, His double hundred was three minutes faster than Astle's, but I reckon he would have faced a lot more deliveries in that time Mm. because everybody bowled off about two steps and they got through 180 overs in a day or whatever it was you know, (laughs) way back when. Uh, So so Astle, the fastest by deliveries, uh, very comprehensively. And as a last little treat for you, Adam, your favourite, one of your favourites, we love old spinners on this show, A, a tiny, tiny league spinner, Titch Freeman, who you've talked about a lot in recent weeks was England's cap number, 222.
0: Indeed he was. We talked about him a few weeks ago, that he had that remarkable run from 1928 to 1935 where he took more than 200 wickets in eight consecutive seasons, the first man to take more than 300 wickets in a season, which he did twice, and the only man to take a tenfer in an innings on three separate occasions. We're going to talk more about old spinners a little bit later in the show in the correspondence section. I'll have you know, Jeff.
1: Yeah, well, I, I I'll have you know I've been doing a lot of this. Yeah, this really is just the old spinner program by now. So so stay tuned for that. Our next number comes in from great correspondence with the show, the History of the Netherlands podcast. You can look them up out in podcast land. The number that they sent through was one dollar sixteen one one six. How did you go, Adam?
0: Well, it got reverted to 117, so I had a look at that, which might be why I haven't done so well. I was looking at 117 or one. Uh, 0.17 and, and, and 11.7 and so on as it relates to Netherlands cricket. And really, there isn't a lot going on there. They beat Kenya in a one-day international by 117 runs in 2010. Uh, Tim van der Gugten uh, has taken one for seventeen on three occasions in T20 internationals for Holland in recent years. <laughs> That's good. Nobody's made 117 for Holland in any form of the game. So I'm going to throw that back into the pond for the time being. In saying that, it may very well be 116 and I might have stuffed up entirely, but But as far as one seventeen is concerned, I've got some work to do. Um, The good news, though, Jeff, is that the closer we get back to normality in cricket, and if there were to be a vaccine, I mean, who's to know? And if there were to be crowds again, next year, next May, is when England goes to Holland for three one-day internationals as part Mm -hmm. of the one-day Super League. And you better fucking believe that I'm going to be there for that. A week in Amsterdam, or better yet, a week in the Hague. Who knows? It won't be far away from the more actually, it's, it's scheduled to be in May and Eurovision's going to be in Rotterdam next year because Rotterdam uh, didn't get to host the, the, the contest this year because of COVID. It might be, oh, Jim, I've got to follow this up. Maybe the ECB should structure it that their tour to the Netherlands, their May tour does clash with Eurovision so I can uh, do two birds, one stone. Imagine I got to take Joss Butler to Eurovision with me. Oof. Oof.
1: Oh imagine he got him on stage. Please.
0: Well the last time I went to I've been a couple of times in two thousand and sixteen in, in Stockholm because I was well notionally covering it <laughs> the second time I went, I was writing about it and filming stupid videos and so on. They had this thing called the Euro Club where all of the former winners Tend to just hang out, you know, all the lanyards, let's call it, uh, hang out and right. sort of do, do their thing. So, and they invariably get blind or coked up or whatever and end up on stage belting out their winner <laughs> from however many years before. So, <laughs> if I can get Joss Butler and Loreen up on stage singing Euphoria, my work will be done.
1: Boss Jutler. Uh, <laughs> so, my memory of the history of the Netherlands number is that I reckon they put in 116 and then later edited it to 117 as a separate number. So I reckon the two of them are not related. But, you know, we'll, we'll spend a bit more time on that between now and next weekend. And if the History of the Netherlands crew would like to send us a message, please do. Next number on the list, Chris Arkell, who uh, has come up on the show recently, only a few weeks ago. Uh, Chris Arkell is busy in the numbers list. $4.72 was the Chris Arkell number. And I was looking at, Four seven twos. Um, you, nothing much. Nothing much going on match wise. But what I reckon it is, you, you know, there, there are all kinds of ways you can configure the numbers, and I think in this case mm-hmm. it is most likely to be a test batting average of someone we've been listening to on commentary over the last few weeks. Kevin Peterson averaged forty-seven point two mm-hmm. in. Test cricket twenty three test tons so that that four seven two I thought that's most likely to be a number that maybe someone a, a KP fan and enthusiast knows and and wants to wants to put out to make us talk about I don't think we've I don't think we've talked about Kevin Peterson much on this show. Maybe that's an oversight. Maybe that's a very sound plan. But uh. Well, probably
0: because this show started just when Kevin Peterson's dreams of playing international cricket again were extinguished. So our first episode would be, what, July 2015, if you want to mm-hmm. put a marker on, the first time we sat down in a studio and recorded a proper podcast. Well, that was, you know, the the series, The Ashes of 2015, where mm. he was told, no, it does not matter how many runs you make in county cricket, you're not getting recalled. So... Had it been the final word starting in 2013 or 2014, I'm sure that Peterson would have been a a regular uh, topic of discussion. In a way, I'm glad he hasn't been because I'm I'm sure it would have led towards many long and tortured conversations. But yes, Peterson's 47.2. I had a couple of options. I think that perhaps the most romantic century uh, made at the MCG in test cricket is Derek Randall's uh, in the centenary test of 1977. He's 174, which nearly got... England to the finish line in a remarkable fourth innings chase. And just, you know, the way he was knocked down, jumped back up again, the doffing of the hat to Dennis Lilly batting all the way through until that final session, a brilliant hundred. But I, I hope, it may not be this, but I hope that Chris Arkell is a Middlesex fan. As you know, I've been doing some work with Middlesex recently, so I've had those numbers on the mind. And 472 was the, the chase that uh, the CXs had, a successful chase against Yorkshire in 2014. So Joe Root's... First game captaining Yorkshire. They do really well. I mean, they bowl out Middlesex 123 in the first innings. They make 416 uh, in the second innings themselves. They leave Middlesex, uh, most unlikely, 472. But he didn't factor in his opposing number. And Chris Rogers making an unbeaten 241 in the fourth innings uh, to steer Middlesex to what was a... Massive and famous victory—the their biggest successful chase at Lords and the third highest successful run chase ever at Lords in in any in any game played there. So and they they did it in one hundred and one overs, so they went pretty briskly as well. Going at well, what's that work out to be? The better part of four point six runs per over, and uh, yeah, that was held against Root for a long time, wasn't it? The idea that the first time he was given the chance to captain his county, he completely bottled it, and they lose by seven wickets, defending four seventy two. But maybe that Chris Arkle is a Middlesex fan, and if he is. I'm sure that number will be close to mine. So
1: a week earlier, we discussed a triple hundred that Chris Rogers made in first-class cricket. And yep. on this show, we're discussing a double hundred that Chris Rogers made in first-class cricket. If you want to discuss Chris Rogers' first-class batting performances, this is this the is show This is the place to you. do it. <laughs> this is the place to be. Um, a, a quick question for you. What the hell is a sea axe?
0: Well, I put this to Isabel Westbury uh, the other night on commentary and... Uh, and she didn't immediately have the answer to hand and we kind of moved on. But it has to do with the fact that Middlesex, and I'm I'm going to be slaughtered for completely botching this, but I'll give it my best shot. It's to do with the Middle Saxons, which is the origin uh, of uh, the the county of Middlesex. Of course, Middlesex is no longer one of the counties, but it's an old county. And they... um, you know what, I'm going to leave it there because there's no way I can get this right. But I know a CX feeds into something to do with the Middle Saxons um, and I'm going to have to colour in the gaps between now and when we return to this show next week. Or I'm, The fact that I'm currently working for Middlesex, this will not reflect well upon me. Oof,
1: I, I've absolutely... Like, done you no favours in how I've set up almost any questions on this show so far <laughs> just this week. Um, oh, well. It, I mean, it just sounds kind of like a sea axe. You're, like, you're not going to beat the sea with an axe, buddy. You know It's not going to happen. Oh, I'm just going to go down there with my axe and hit the sea. It's not going to work. It's the sort of thing that it, as soon as we're finished today, I'm going to ask Mike, Sel-
0: Mike Selvey why, why it is and, and I'll report okay. back. How's that sound?
1: All right, good. I, I like this. This is... This is this is humility. If we were if we were egotists, we'd cut that out. We would edit that out of the show. We can do that. We can. You yes. wouldn't ever need to know that we didn't know what C axes were. I had never heard of them before this day. But this is this is the learning, the journey that we're all on together. Mm. You, me, us, us together. So that's Chris Arkel, the, the four seven two. Those are some options. Let us know, Chris. Next on our list, Jake Schmidt. Schmitty, as I'm sure he is known. I'm sure. I have no doubt that there's been a bit of Schmidty worked in there over the years. One dollar sixty-four was the number. One six four did that tingle. Any any bells? Any little mental telephones ringing way down the hall of your mind? Well,
0: it will for you, Jeff. It, it, it's what, who played one hundred and sixty-four Test matches. Two of your favourite batsmen of all time played one
1: hundred and sixty-four Test matches. One hundred and sixty-four. Not.
0: two men who you won't ever talk uh, about: uh, Rahul Dravid and Shivnarine yes. Chanderpaul played 164 <laughs> Test matches apiece. That's the first place I the went. Antithetical: and thought
1: of you. the crab and the stylist. The you know the two most. Remarkable. The, the the contrast in techniques could not be more extraordinary.
0: But I it took it a, a different direction, though. So Archie Jackson's one six four. The reason that comes to mind is that a couple of years ago, I was trying to get commissioned to write a book about each of the men who scored a Test century on debut for Australia. There are twenty of them. Adam Voges being the most recent at Dominica in twenty fifteen, which I had the great fortune to be calling on radio. So it was a an area of interest which. Digging through a, a, a bit of the reading around at the time, Archie Jackson's uh, 164 against England at Adelaide in 1929, where he, you know, walks in at three for not many, um, you know, a match-winning hundred. Uh, the boundary, he scores off Harold Larwood to bring up the three figures, which you know, Larwood went on to say later in life was the most beautiful shot he'd ever seen and very sadly tragically indeed uh, four years later barely four years later he died of tuberculosis um of course uh, an illness that he probably picked up while he was in england on the 1930 ashes tour but never really recovered and as a consequence um passed away from that illness in in the february of 1933 russell jackson i should add has uh, revised and updated the david frith a sort of definitive text on Archie Jackson, Cricket's Tragic Genius, which is a brilliant book, but there's more information in that now, an extra couple of chapters, and Russell's written a lovely forward to it as well. So if you're interested in learning more about the tragic tale, really, of Archie Jackson, I can, I can recommend that book. The
1: final new number on the show this week comes from Troy Smith. The number is $2.99, and, and when you say two ninety nine in cricket, surely it can mean nothing else but the score, the top score... Of Martin Crowe, the 299 that Martin Crowe made—it's—it's it's fascinating. It's, its an innings I—I I think about this quite a lot. You know, maybe more than I should. I, I don't know, but it's—it's it's the, the circumstances of the match are extraordinary enough in themselves. In that it's 1991, they're playing Sri Lanka. It, it looked like being Sri Lanka's first ever win in a Test match away from home. I think at that point, I, I don't think they'd managed to to win on the road, and they absolutely dominated New Zealand. They'd bowled them out cheaply, then made nearly 500. So Sri Lanka had a 325-run lead going into the second innings. And, look, a couple of wickets went down, and, and Martin Crowe and Andrew Jones just battered forever. And, and they broke the the bradman Ponsford partnership record by putting on 467 runs <laughs> together while Crow made the 299 uh, and and Andrew Jones made 180-odd. But this sort of turns into a negative for Martin Crow because he gets to 299 and has this thought in his mind that no New Zealand has ever made a triple hundred and he's going to do it. And then he edges a a ball from Arjun Haranatunga, everybody's favourite Sri Lankan, and and gets caught at slip. And and he goes off for 299. And he he wrote really movingly about this when he was, uh, you know, he he died of cancer. And when he knew that he was on the way out really in, in 2014, he wrote about how he'd been so angry about not getting the triple hundred that it had haunted him for years and years and years. He'd, he'd never been able to stop thinking about it or to stop being bitter about it because he, he felt that he'd blown this opportunity. He was never able to appreciate the glorious work of having made 299 instead of being angry that he hadn't made 300. And it was only in, in 2014 when Brendan McCullum made the triple century that he made against India. Was it Um, when, he became the first New Zealander to make a triple mm-hmm. hundred and Martin Crow felt sort of cleansed by that. He felt that, you know, he, he wrote a, a really lovely piece at the time thanking McCollum for letting him stop thinking about that 299 and uh, And well, he died in 2015, I think, from memory after the, um, mm-hmm. the not too mm-hmm. long after New Zealand played in that World Cup final in, in 2015. So it, it just stays with me that that that's how, you know, that's how, depression and mental illness can work to to turn even the greatest positives into negatives you know to to make a way to criticize yourself no matter how well you do and and so that's you know that's there's a real poignancy to that which has stayed with me ever since
0: yeah that's right isn't it because 299 by any benchmark is a triumph of epic proportions and yet he was still able to find the the negative slant of that and it was and and i get it because to make a triple hundred is to have a have a Piece of cricket history that lives on forever. What well, they've been? What forty-one triple hundreds in Test cricket? I think from the third. I head. think thirty-one. A couple of hundred um, in first-class cricket. Yeah. Thirty-one isn't. I think there's there was there's been two hundred or just over two hundred in in first-class cricket. But still, I, I get it. The frustration of not, of not reaching that mark. But you know, do, do you think? I suppose that. Yeah, it's different between two ninety nine and one ninety nine. I don't expect those that make one ninety nine. I don't expect Matthew Elliott or Steve Smith from Jamaica in two thousand and fifteen. Sort of sit there and think too much about the negative of that extra run. But as you say, the way that um, mental illness intersects with cricket, it's been a discussion topic we've returned to time and time again on the final word. And uh, for whatever reason, that particular affliction and our sport
1: are interwoven. That is the end of our new numbers for this week. Uh, obviously, if you're on the list, stick tight because we will come to you in the weeks to come. We need to have a look back at a couple of numbers that we may not have got in previous weeks. Mark Fenton's 210. Adam, you've been looking into this because we were given a, a hint that it would probably had something to do with Essex County.
0: Yes, and because of that, I went straight to Matt Gaynor, who I'm in a, uh, an email chain with, sort of week in, week out about all weird things cricket. And uh, I thought, if there's an Essex question, uh, I, I'm going to ask him to solve it for me. And he did, of course. Uh, he, he first told me that Graham Gooch, his final test hunt, of course, the, the great Essex batsman, was against New Zealand in 1994, where he made 210. But he went far better than that. Johnny Douglas, a man who I didn't really know much about other than the fact that he was a, you know a, a former... England captain, as
1: in Johnny won't hit today. Uh,
0: well, as far, what you mean, uh, Johnny won't hit today, as in he's such
1: a slow scorer. No, as in, as in his initials were J W H T Douglas thus he was uh, satirically referred to as Johnny Won't Hit Today. That that I didn't know. Well, I thought that may,
0: when you said that, had to do with his notoriously slow strike rate. But we'll come to that in a sec, because he was the Olympic gold medal winner in boxing in 1908. He played for Essex for 27 years. He captained them for 17 of those years. Indeed, he captained uh, England against Warwick Armstrong's Australians. But Where 210 uh, kicks in and why I like it is that he once made an unbeaten 210, which was his highest score in professional cricket, or first-class cricket, I should say, in that era. And he backed it up by taking nine for 47. So uh, talk about a final round performance 9 for 47 alongside 210 Not out for the Essex captain Johnny Douglas uh, He did the double, 100 wickets and 1,000 runs on, on five occasions And he played football for England as well Which wasn't that uncommon, I suppose, in, in that generation Being a dual international But Johnny Douglas was one of those And I think and I hope uh, that gets us over the line for Mark Fenton
1: <laughs> And I think and I hope and I pray And I, and I cry, oh my God, do I cry <laughs> um, thank you, Mark. I look sometimes we look at a number and sometimes we really look at a number. I spent way too long on this during the past week when I should have been doing other work. <laughs> Daniel Hill <laughs> sent us a, a week or two ago, or we looked at it a week or two ago, $5. 55, $5.55. And we 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 had a, a wander around. We had a few different things we were looking at. Um, Kirtley Ambrose, we at Graham Yellup. <laughs> it just keeps coming back. Just the guest who will never leave. Bill Rodham online sent us a suggestion that there was a, a partnership involving the Great England opener Herbert Sutcliffe. And his Yorkshire teammate, Percy Holmes, who put on 555 for the first wicket against Essex, the team we were just discussing, which would have been Mm. early 20th century. Uh, I mean, come on, 555 for the first wicket, (laughs) like the opening partnership, like you would not want to be in the Essex team that day. But a, a hint came in from Daniel Hill, who sent us this number during the week about this 555 and he said it relates to a record for being the oldest to first take five wickets to take five wickets for the first time so this is it was a little journey that i went on which which i want to take you on and i want to take the listeners on come with me just just this way yep yep just come through yep there's plenty of room come in come in so the 555 initially i was looking at figures of five for 55 and and the first thought in my head was funky miller was on that list colin miller uh the the australian well he was a seamer who became an off spinner and, and was test player of the year in the year 2000 when steve war's team was beating everybody in the world and he came to cricket pretty late and he was 34 when he took took that five wicket haul, his first five wicket haul. and i thought that's pretty old 34 maybe it's him he wasn't even the oldest to take five for 55 as his first um, five-wicket <laughs> hole because uh, Jasubai Patel, the off-spinner for India, was 35 years old. He took nine for 69 as his first hole of more than five wickets in Test cricket and then took the five for 55 in the second innings against Australia in 1959, against a, a very good team with Richie Benno and Neil, Neil Harvey and a, a stack of good players in it, so they got smashed by Chas by Patel. But then there's an even older player who took five for 55. And this, now this is one of the great names in the history of cricket. Night, there are uh, cricket has cricket has good names. It's got Warner Kulissuria.
0: <laughs> you got to keep that in. If I've got to keep him, I I, if I've got to keep in my fuck up earlier. That stays in as well, Jeff.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, then.
0: <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> okay. you, you, can get the, you can get the name right the second time around, but the first one stays.
1: The first one stays. Vornakulasuria Patabendige Joseph Ushanta Chamindavas. That's, that's one of the good names. Um, but, but this, from the West Indies in in the 1950s when, when he played a couple of test matches, Hofni Hobar Hines Johnson. Ah, Hofni Hobar Hines Johnson. <laughs> Was 37 years old. The, the Triple, triple H, H. The Triple Threat. Was 37 years old when he took 5 for 41 and 5 for 55 against England in Kingston. He was a quick bowler. He was the first ever West Indies bowler to take 10 in a match. So that great legacy of West Indies fast bowling starts with him in in the, I think it was 1959, somewhere about that. So this is getting a bit disjointed, I know, but bear with me. Just, just come with me on this. So Hoffney Hobart, Hines, Johnson... Has, has taken that five for 55 at the age of 37. But then I was realising, we've talked about old spinners a lot, as we've said, and we were talking only last week, I think, about uh, Don Blackie and, and about Bert Ironmonger, who were nearly 50 when when they were playing for Australia, and they both took five wicket hauls and they both debuted very late. So I was thinking, obviously, he's not the oldest player to take five for and I started looking up old players to take five-wicket hauls, and, and who had done it for the first time in their careers. Turns out there are nine spinners who were older than Hoffney Hobar, Hines, Johnson when they first took a five-wicket haul, And some great stories among those nine spinners, including uh, John Tracos, who played for South Africa in 1970 and then played for Zimbabwe mm-hmm. in 1992 and took his first five for... Uh, at the age of 45. So there were lots of old spinners who took five for, th- for the first time. But then I was like, what if it's about bowling styles? Because older players than Hoffney Hobar, Hines, Johnson, who took their first five for... There were a couple, including the New Zealand all rounder Bev Congdon... He took a fire for when he was 38 years old in a test match involving the Indian batsman Bridesh Patel, who we spoke about last week. If you don't know about Bridges Patel, hop back in the queue and listen in. That's a, a wonderful story. And there's another player we've mentioned recently. I know this is getting ridiculous, but this is all good stuff. Another player we mentioned recently was England's beloved post-war skipper Freddie Brown, who we discussed recently for having been born in Peru, in Lima, and his father played club cricket yeah. in Peru. Now, he took a five for as well, but, but Bev Congdon and Freddie Brown, they were all rounders who bowled meds, you know, little, little seamers. They're not really fast bowlers. So I was thinking maybe, okay, so maybe this works if you qualify it that way and say that Hoffney Hobar, Hines, Johnson was the oldest fast bowler to take his first five-wicket haul in Test cricket. Maybe that works. But I thought maybe this is a record that Daniel Hill has had in his head for a long time, since the 1950s when... when well, maybe he didn't know about it in the 1950s, but it's a long-standing record. And maybe he didn't realise that not that long ago, just a year ago, maybe somebody snuck in and took that record because a year ago at Lords, when Ireland played England, Tim Murder took five for 13 and he was one week shy of his 38th birthday. And if you could define Tim Murder as a fast bowler, it may be a stretch, but you could, he would now be the oldest fast bowler to first take a five-wicket haul in tests. If not, Uh,
0: if not, it's Hoffney Hobart-Hearns-Johnson. You've... Outdone yourself. Murder on the dance floor at (laughs) Lords was last year. I've seen Tim Murter take a shitload of wickets this season Mm. so far for Middlesex at age 39, or he keeps on keeping on. He was was on a hat-trick a couple of weeks ago, which I was calling at the time. And, of course, my hat-trick problem extends to first-class cricket as well as... uh, test cricket and I thought how lovely would it be if the first hat trick that I would see with a red ball in professional cricket would be one that I'm calling and one that Tim Murder uh, is bowling for but it wasn't to be but still he's had a tremendous season this year one more round to go in the Bob Willis and I'm sure he'll go again next year at age 40 because he's still broadly unplayable he's still <laughs> one of the most skillful op- operators in the country and I'm very glad that he was the not the punchline that wouldn't it wasn't a joke you were telling but he was the he was the he was the, the, the full stop on mm. that tale. So thank you so much to Daniel Hill for persisting uh, and letting Jeff go on that gallop. Uh, we had 444 from Gas Panic on Twitter. He, he said his name was Jeff uh, for the purpose of patron, but Gas Panic, who we talked to and have done for years and a great pal of ours on, on social media. his uh, 444. We said Don Blackie. He replied, that he really enjoyed our Don Blackie story about being one of the oldest men to play test cricket, the second oldest man indeed to play 1st class cricket I think I had him at. Anyway in any case He thought though uh, That where we should Think more about Is uh, via his favourite player He often posts uh, Compilations of Damian Martin And of course Damien Martin uh, Made 444 runs In the Border Gavaska Trophy win In 2004 Australia's final Frontier victory He made those runs At an average of 55.5 And he went So close to Joining Bradman With three centuries In three innings So he makes That epic uh, Tarn in the second dig at Chennai With Jason Gillespie down the other end If memory serves me correctly Then he made 100 in the first dig at Nagpur And in the second innings at Nagpur He's on 97 uh, when he gets out But still an incredible run Which at one stage in that 2004-2005 window Martin made 1,608 runs At an average of 62 with 7 centuries And he really was sort of at the peak of his prowess so I was watching Jeff when I couldn't sleep last night As is often the case when working on a, on a night cricket game when sort of the adrenaline still pumping and so forth they had flashed up on the, the sky cricket uh, screen uh, the first t20 international played in this country the second t20 of all time actually between australia and england played here at the rose bowl where england you know bowled australia out for 79 and it set up beautifully the one day as into the ashes and, and all the rest but watching damien martin walk out and darren lehman who was commentating for sky and saying oh you know no one's batting better in the world than Martin right now Peak of his powers and so on And to think that by the end of that Asher series He actually got dropped That was the series where he got omitted from the test team By the end of it uh, For the start of the following summer He made it back But you can see how quickly it can turn But in the lead up to that Ashes series uh over 1,600 runs in 04 and 05, but the four 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 he made in the border of of 04, I'm pretty sure, is the number for Gas Panic. Thank you, Jeff, for being part of it.
1: The, the story checks out. Uh, I, I, think, I think that patch in Damien Martin's life is... It's well worth remembering when he was a WA player who would come... To Sydney to play New South Wales and could not make a run at the SCG. Couldn't play spin; was hopeless against it. And then he ended up being the player who he, he also had that tour of Sri Lanka in two thousand and three ish when he made a million yeah. runs. Oh, two thousand and four as well. Yeah, yeah. Where he made a million runs yeah. against Murali and and then you know went to and went to India to to get that. Series victory in India—that thing that uh, that Australia, even those great Australian teams before that, had not been able to do. So, always, always a good time to have Damien Martin, um, author of some of the greatest crazy eyes in Test cricket. You know, it's really, really pops him out of his head at times. <laughs> so good to get him on the show.
0: Uh, back to some old spinner uh, back and forth Pat Rogers has picked up where we left off last week he's written a really lovely piece on the raw which I can recommend I'll, I'll, um, I'll retweet it so that you can see it in my feed but Pat who's one of our fantastic correspondents week in week out he heard uh, our discussion about Suwanji Madanyaka who turned 48 last week the Sri Lankan left arm orthodox spinner and he referred me to the Indian spinner Praveen Tambay uh, who is also 48 years old and he's the first Indian cricketer to play in the Caribbean Premier League making his debut this week he picked up 1 for 14 off 4 overs and took a good catch on Wednesday pat Um, tells me, which means he should be able to keep his spot. Uh, I think Previn uh, kind of first received headlines about five or six years ago when he made his IPL debut at age 41 or something like that. But to think that he's still going strong at 48, he could join Suwanji as as cricketers who are still playing into their 50s. And of course, they are both spinners, so a nice link back there.
1: It is the old spinner show. I, I told you, this is what it is. Here's the last bit of revisiting correspondence. Last time on the show, we looked at a number, it was from Dominic Richards. Oh, this is some wonderful stuff here, and and the number was five dollars eighteen. And we thought it, you know, well, Adam just sort of offhand said that that he had once taken five for eighteen in you know you a, a district match somewhere or other, uh, five for eighteen, and he remembered the day.
0: It was my first five for eighteen. It was the day after Ricky Ponting got in the punch on at the Bourbon and Beef. What day. a day! I remember that distinctly in 19, early early '99. It was a Sunday game at St Mary's and. As you know, you remember these pivotal moments, and that was my first FIFA,
1: that is true. So Dominic heard this. And, and has written us a message during the week and said that you were not actually very far off the truth. His five eighteen was, in fact, the 5-for-18 that Adam took against Clayton District in the 2014-15 season, <laughs> uh, and that Dominic wonders how many <laughs> Test Bowlers have taken 5-for-18 on multiple occasions. Not just one 5-for-18, he'd taken more than one. So he legitimately, and, and you... Now, I just need to be clear about this. You don't know Dominic, right? you you 're not you 're not familiar with one
0: another no no okay. i don 't i mean this is this is an amazing bit of work from him really, when you consider that he 's gone through. He must have gone through my my, my cricket page and the last season where <laughs> even i 've never done this like... fifteen before <laughs> yeah well i have i 've you know dropped in and out periodically i think i 've got two separate pages I, I My registration has been sort of decoupled w- with some of the clubs I played for, but in any case I, I know that in 14-15 that was sort of the last serious season I played as my shoulder was giving out Giving out, and then 15-16 I, I continued on but it was sort of going downhill quick by that stage I just couldn't do it anymore but in fourteen fifteen, 15 I was on Sundays captaining um, the development 11 so a bunch of kids and I had a great time doing it some of the most enjoyable cricket I ever played uh, There for Endeavour Hills And it's true I took five for 18 And I know that All five wickets Came in my first three overs And I was captaining the side And I took my foot Off the brake Or foot off the accelerator Rather And let the game drift We're defending about 200 And they fucking chased it down So after having them about I think at one point They were like six for 40 and And we lost the game So yes Good figures on paper But Sort of a disappointing day as well. It was one of two times that season where um, we had uh, big totals chased down uh, at that ground as well. So anyway, I don't want to be indulgent, but I do want to say, Dominic Richards, you are indeed the Seabus Super Performer of the Week. <laughs> but going into my My Cricket page and pulling that out, that takes some work. So it is only right to acknowledge you as our Seabus Performer of the Week. Seabus makes sure that all profits go to members of not to shareholders. And indeed, you are a member of the Final Word community who we value, Dominic, having, for having gone to all that effort. And we also value C-Bus Super. If you want to learn more about them, dot c Cbus have been supporting the Final Word now for what is it, about 15 months, loyally, au. If you want to learn more about them, uh, you can jump on the website and grab yourself a product disclosure statement, which you can get that PDF in a PDF if you see fit. And of course, remember that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.
1: Uh, Dominic Richards, what, a, what, a, what, a, what an effort. Uh, <laughs> nobody else has thought to do that yet. So we, we have no choice but to stand, as they say. On the electronic highways <laughs> a couple of bits of correspondence that didn't have to do with revisits we, we were discussing the shane warne three for eleven taken in sri lanka in the early 90s for reasons best known to us uh, it's apparently it's watchable apparently you've, you've managed to find it on the internet uh via some correspondence from andrew 54 so Andrew54 is a patron of ours. Uh, a friend of mine, he,
0: uh, he, he actually nursed my last cat to her, to her death. I had a cat from age 11. Who was with me all the way through my childhood? And Andrew ended up being this is kind of a a weird way to introduce him, but he was um, uh, he he ended up living in a flat that I lived in after I left and effectively took over the responsibilities for looking after my cat. And he he gave her a lovely last couple of years. But he also played in a a premiership, a soccer premiership with us uh, some years later. Great patron of the show, fantastic nerd pledger as well. He's often jumping in with numbers and so forth. And he said that listening to Storytime on his morning walk last week, he realized that. The shame on 3 for 11 Which I said wasn't on YouTube Now is It was loaded up during lockdown In May 2020 Some 28 years later uh, mm. The footage from Sri Lankan television has surfaced So if you want to watch that I popped it out on Twitter last week I believe that Daniel Bredig from Crick Info Is looking very closely at it uh, In terms of writing a piece about it at some stage So this won't be the last we hear about warned 3 for 11 <laughs>
1: I'm glad to hear it. Twenty eight years later, like, we're looking very closely at that. There's a, you know, we've got our best people on it, our best minds. We've got a crack team of researchers. We are not going to let this pass us by. It's just- uh, um, and the and last excellent bit of correspondence in from Terry Hogan, who was thinking about important issues while we were talking about ancient spinners last week. Uh, he said, something I have recently contemplated <laughs> is the Australian selectors meeting in mid-December 1928. Following a 675-run defeat at the Exhibition Ground, uh, that's in in Brisbane, where they only played a couple of test matches. Adam will talk about that at great length at any time with no provocation. Following that defeat, says Terry, the selectors decided the bowling attack for Sydney should be Clary Grimmett two weeks shy of his 37th birthday, Bert Ironmonger playing his second test at 46 years of age, and Don Blackie, the 46-year-old debutante. The three spinners were supported by the medium pace of a debutante, Otto Knopfling. And to cap things off... Loves to get blotter. (laughs) To cap things off, Bradman was named 12th Man. Perhaps not surprisingly, England, led by Larwood and Tate, won by eight wickets. So I'm glad that you've been thinking about selection meetings in 1928, Terry, and, and thank you for making us think about them too. Look,
0: it, it isn't over for us. I mean, we're in our, you know, we, I think we could say mid to late 30s now, aren't we? I mean, yeah. there's no sort of way around that. Mid to late 30s, is, it's the only way you can describe it. It does mean that if we can get fit, mm-hmm. there is still time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're going to play professional cricket. I'm not saying we're going to play for Australia. But But why do we think that our time playing decent cricket needs to have ended? We can reinvent ourselves. I've been bowling, for someone with a cooked shoulder, I've been bowling quite tidily in the nets of late. I've looked out this this morning to the centre wicket here at um, Southampton and was gagging for a net. I'm I'm just, you know, the one lesson from this story time is that spin is a touch craft and there's no reason why you can't keep going and going as long as your body allows and it should allow you to do it at least into
1: your mid 40s and I plan to do precisely that and and so and if you uh, you know if, if you if you find yourself in that place where the touchcraft has returned to you you're in touchcraft country I think this is the end of the numbers we have now look if you want to play if you want to be part of the game you can do that you go to patron.com slash the final word you sign up uh, you put your number in, and by doing that, you can help us make the show. This show and and the more news focused, interview focused show that we do early in the week when we're not just completely enjoying ourselves with rampant nerdery on the weekend. So we'd we'd love to have you along. Uh, jump on that list if you'd like to, or if you've you're on it and you've you've had your number and it's been and gone, you can always edit that number to make it a fresh challenge, which we'll come to in the shows ahead. Uh, we'd love you to play. That
0: we would. So, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Jeff, let's take a break. Let's just pause, have a little chat mm-hmm. about something else for a moment. Yep. And then we'll return. We're not going to
1: keep going. We're going to stop. And then we, we'll return. We're going to stop and then start. As is the custom, okay. we're taking a break, right? Okay. Okay. Yep, right. So, so the break implies something after the break. So, what you're saying?
0: Australian think. fast bowler. Yep. And now vice captain, but at a time when he wasn't vice captain, or maybe he was vice captain. No, I don't I think can't he remember. was then. There've been so many different vice captains in us Australians. He maybe he was co-vice captain last year. What yep, I do? everyone been a vice Is captain. that he's in a hotel room on the floor above me at the moment somewhere? He's probably playing table tennis or mm-hmm. playing pool or yep or playing. What's that game they all play now? Not Fortnite, but Line of. Line well, of Duty. Just go
1: and just go and interview him again.
0: You know, I just about could. Call it Duty. If, if I see Line of Duty being the TV show.
1: Just go and interview him now. If I... Why are you being so lazy replaying an interview from last year <laughs> when you could just go and do another interview? Just pull your finger out, Adam. Back in a sec with Patrick Cummins. There's nothing better in the podcasting game than getting connected with great great partners, great people to work with who's, who's, who's amazing products and services you can tell people about. Now, we want to tell you about a very special, it's just a couple of fantastic blokes. Uh, they, they're working with some great people as well. You, uh, you may have heard of them. You may not. The final word, cricket podcast. <laughs> now, this is a show. This is like a, uh, it's a biweekly show by now. Where, where, where they talk about cricket um, on, on the internet. They record it in an audio form and they release it on a feed to, for some reason, somehow, literally thousands of people who choose to listen to this. Now, it's, it's exciting, podcasting. It's new, you know, it's it's hip. People are into it. People are taking it up in droves because they're all locked in their houses around the world and have nothing else to do. You know, we want you to know about the final word podcast sounds i know it sounds wacky adam but what do you
0: think well, what i know is that people listen to segments just like this when uh, tuning into a podcast we know that the data's there and that's why often brands like to ally with podcasts and we've done a lot of that over the last twelve months we talked about cbus super earlier today we've had a number of, of companies and and groups work with us to, to talk about their cause knowing that people hear it in the podcast talked about by you jeff lemon and me Adam Collins and it seems to work. And as a consequence, now that we're doing the second show per week, story time and it's so much fun, there's no way we're going to stop. We can't stop and we won't stop as we've said before about the final word. We can't stop. We, we would stop. love for you to send, never send have us stopped, never an will email. Stop.
1: stopping's not <laughs> but, stopping's not on the agenda. Stop, we've got a doc we've got, you know, we have a little document where we put in things that we're going to think about over the coming week. It's never said stop. No. It's never said maybe we'll stop. No. It's not in there. You could search. You could control S and search the whole document for
0: stop. You'll never find it. This is a perpetual motion machine, the final word. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting better, we hope, as far as the the amount of people who are listening and paying attention to what we're doing, which is very flattering and and we love that. But it does mean that this weekend show, this storytime edition of the show, is crying out for a sponsor. In short, if you want to be that sponsor, you want to be that partner, you want to work with us, you want us to do stupid shit for you, you want us to do live shows for you, You want us to talk about stuff that you can't get your other partners to talk about in the way you normally would put a 30-second spot on the radio or something like that. We can do that each week on Storytime for you. Drop us an email. Final Word Cricket at gmail.com Jeff's on Twitter at Jeff Lemon Sport I'm on Twitter at Collins Adam of course there's the webpage, finalwordcricket.com find us at any of these platforms indeed you might already be a patron then you can DM us into the patron inbox and we'd love to see your note there but this is the time to get on board because as we work our way towards the Australian summer um, story time will continue there'll be probably a, a lot more as well we're working on a couple of different projects at the moment but if you like the final word and you want to be involved no better time than now Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Well, we're thrilled to have Pat Cummins with us at Derbyshire County Cricket Club. You're uh, not playing in this tour game, uh, but you are dressed up in the most delightful-looking, proper cricket jumper I think I've ever seen, really. It's the full kit. It's the long sleeves. It looks like it's never been worn. <laughs>
2: Well, I've been waiting all tour, actually. That's one of the highlights of coming to England. You get the full sweaters, woolies on. But, um, yeah, today's the first day. I pulled it out of the packet. It's meant to be a large, but I think I got Matt Wade's one on, actually. It's um, (laughs) it's pretty tight. I was thinking it did look very smelt.
1: (laughs) It looks like an Italian team jumper or
0: something. Yeah, (laughs) like me when I was, like, 19 years old, intentionally buying T-shirts three times too small.
1: (laughs) Sun's out. for me. (laughs) Sun's out. Uh, (laughs) I noticed Stark out there bowling one. He bowled one ball wearing it and then had to take it. <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> like very attractive.
0: I still collect them um, so it's the first it's a, the team's first outing since what happened on Sunday at Headingley but the first sort of training session yesterday it was quite quite a layback affair playing rugby league which I felt you know I felt um, uh, sympathy for you New South Welshman in the side who there's always a Sharon out there <laughs> it, always that the Melbourne uh, southern states dominated football coach and you guys finally got to play some of your game
2: well I have to admit um, I actually wasn't there at training yesterday. Oh, yes. I had a day off. So um, I came down yesterday, but from more reports, it was pretty good. A few of the boys were happy to get their shirts off. <laughs> um, I just saw a, it was a front page of Daily Telegraph. I think tomorrow's Davy uh, Davey Warner with his shirt off, so he was pretty happy there. A yep. um, few tries. There's been a few f- videos flying around. Smithy was pretty happy with one cutout pass. So, um, yeah, a bit of fun. It was um, yeah, pretty relaxed, I think. The other thing I
0: noticed, I know you weren't involved yesterday, but Cameron Bancroft leading the group in a... In a, in a yoga lesson uh, Sort of thinking about Talking to you today When you first came Into this side in 2011 what, what are the odds Or what's the probability Of seeing a yoga session On the middle of a cricket field Before before any sort
2: of game Yeah I don't remember Buff taking his shoes off And um, <laughs> running us through A downward dog and all, but, um <laughs> Yeah, well, it something we actually did in Perth as well at the start of um, last summer uh, before the ODIs. Bengers took us through a, a, a yoga session. Obviously, JL loves his uh, his, his earthing and his, his yoga, so it's something a little bit different. Um, us quick bowlers aren't normally great flexi- flexibility-wise. Um but no, yeah, Bengers loves it. Him and uh, Mitch Marsh have been going a couple of times a week, actually, it's true. Are
0: you any good at it? Like, I'm just sort of thinking that, and I go to yoga quite a lot. Actually, the, today was the first yoga class I've ever been to where there's more me- men than women in the class. I think it's sort of a sign of the times. Right. For, but as a fast bowler, I can see where it could be advantageous in terms of the additional flexibility and mm. so forth. Like, does that come, like, do you see it as something that might actually have some, I don't know, maybe extend your career in a few years'
2: time? It's definitely got its benefits, but it's bloody hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I've done it a few times as I, as I said my attention span's terrible so I I can hold a pose for a couple of seconds and I'm I'm hopeless but we've uh, we've actually done a lot of pilates which is kind of similar a lot of core work but um yeah not as big on the flexibility front but um yeah, there's definitely value in it, for sure.
1: When you see, like, you know, the stills of, say, Jeff Thompson with the leg up at the <laughs> batsman, or who's the, the West Indies bowler kicking the stumps over in New Zealand where his foot's up above his head? Michael Holding. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a fair bit of, like, you know, fast bowlers have been doing yoga for a long time. They yeah, just didn't yeah. know it.
2: Yeah. Uh, what's his name? DK Lilly. He always says to me he used to spend hours stretching and doing core exercises, so... Uh, there's definitely something in it. Oh, I prefer taking anti-inflammatory off on that. Does the same thing.
0: <laughs> uh, so we, we, before we get into sort of talking about your story, the way we normally do, on the final word, um, what was it like being out there in the middle of Headingley on Sunday when all hell was breaking loose? So, like, try and give us a bit of a snapshot of what it feels like being at the top of your mark as Josh Hazelwood um, sneaks in behind you here.
1: Uh, being it in looks a, it is, even in, bigger in a than usual with the fluoro yellow vest on. <laughs> is it, is fluoro orange. It's like this giant orange giant keeps peering down through the window at us. Yeah. What's
0: it? I mean, what, for, for those who will never get a chance to do it, what's it like being in a pressure cooker situation like that um, when you're at the top of your mark when there's a test match, which is so in the balance and regardless of the result will we'll be talked about for sort of decades, really?
2: Yeah, and I'll the last ball, so that will be replayed a few times, oh, which oh, would God. be good. Um, <laughs> it's, I felt like it was probably closer to, say, like a World Cup game or a, a T20 game where every single ball you feel like, you know, the match could be won or lost on that ball. And... It's probably something I haven't felt in Test cricket at all. You know, my twenty odd Tests that I've played, but I mean, the, the first thing is just yeah, the crowd was you know, so vocal. Um, it was midday, so they'd had ha- well, you know middle session, so they'd had a few hours of drinking under their belt, so they were pretty confident out there on the fence, and um, oh, it was amazing. You know, a couple of times I just had to. It wasn't totally unfamiliar because uh, you know you have play a lot of white ball games that come down to the wire, but. It was weird that it was, you know, test cricket and he's hitting six after six and it's spinning out of the rough and, um, yeah, you know, I just couldn't believe it. It was... Yeah, you know, the whole time I felt like we were going to get a wicket. He was bound to hit one up, but he, yeah, um, unfortunately, just kept hitting him clean. So yeah, it wasn't a great, great experience out there.
1: I was down in the in the midst of the crowd as that was all happening in the Western Terrace, and every single person in that ground was losing their shit. Like they were just people were chewing on their fingers, jumping up and down, yelling at each other on the phone to other people, telling them to go and watch it. Like it was it's absolute bedlam.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I felt it out on the fence. Every single boy, just the whole crowd stood up and erupted. And um, I, what I will say is, on, on the field, I felt really calm. Um, we spoke a little bit at, at Lords on that day four, where we, we felt like we were a real chance of winning the winning the game. There, we um, you know we had him four down, but we could have easily had him seven, eight down, and. Um, we spoke about almost wanting it so much that we got really emotional and people were you know, stressed out there, we were living and dying by every result. So I think this time around, everyone was quite calm, we were quite level, even when we, you know, we bowled about for 67 um, in the second innings when we were taking wickets, everyone was really level, kind of knew we weren't going to kind of erupt until we won the game, so didn't help, (laughs) unfortunately.
1: Is that something that's come from Tim specifically? Because I remember him saying, I think in South Africa, when he was talking about um, sledging and arguing on the field and so on, he was saying that's something that can take your energy away too. It can distract you and and you waste your emotional energy on that instead of on the game itself.
2: For sure. And... I'd say just about everyone in the team plays their best when they're relaxed and they're calm and they're clear and it's something we speak quite a bit about and yeah, Tim definitely runs that, uh, JL's big on that um, you know, it's quite easy to, to I guess, lose sight of that and, and ride the roller coaster of you know, wins and losses and wickets and partnerships so it's just a drain if you, if you try and um, play your career like that so yeah, I thought that was really impressive how everyone kind of maintained their, their even kill the whole time and has that been the case the last couple of days? It certainly
0: feels like it from the outside, watching you guys go through your paces. That there hasn't been that sort of hangover, which can often happen after a loss. I remember in where were we? India a couple of years ago, losing in Bangalore. There was a big drop before Ranchi last year when they Australia went into urban. They lose in Port Elizabeth, a relatively tight test match. We all know what happens in Cape Town. Like it feels this time around, like things are a bit more chilled out.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, we haven't won a series over here in twenty years, so. You can kind of look at that two ways. You can, you know, say um, desperate to win, which of course we are, or, or as you can kind of say, you know, we're, we're the underdogs. Um, it'd be an amazing achievement to win here, but just try and not put to put you know extra pressure on ourselves. And um, I think it'd be a different story if we're all down, you know, two or three nil. But we're one or um, two to play every single game we've played. We feel like we've been right on top for most of it. So. Yeah, I think as long as we don't lose sight of all those things we're doing well, we're, we've got no reason to, to lose confidence over the last one.
1: I felt like one of the best things for people who love... Australian cricket, you know, aside from there's the 67, obviously, but the key part of it is that there's you, there's James Pattinson, there's Josh Hazelwood, and you're all together. Finally, you're all together in a test match after all of these injuries, all these delays, all these setbacks, all this waiting, because it, it, it was, you know, you're talking nearly 10 years ago when people were saying these guys are the up-and-comers, they could all be, you know, they could form a hell of a force at test level with Mitchell Stark in there as well, this four and now you're all in the squad and three of you are in that 11 and you can all play.
2: Yeah, it was really special. I wasn't lost on us, you know, actually on the first morning, um, JL pulled us aside and, uh, and said, I've been waiting 10 years to have you guys playing together, um, you know, fit at the same time. Obviously, we've got, you know, someone some like Starkey on the bench as well. So it's just, you know, it's great having, I guess, everyone to pick from, everyone fit and firing and um yeah we have all been uh, i guess through a lot together in over 10 years so we all get along really well and um you know enjoys that, each other's success so yeah it's a really good really great feeling and uh, you know i think in the past if you, if you miss out you you know you're super disappointed obviously but i think this tour someone like you know starkey the way he's carried himself by not getting picked it's he's kind of personified that feeling of a of a you know group mentality and everyone's gonna have to p- play a part it's um yeah, it's a pretty long tour and obviously the, the schedule is 12 months
0: long. Do you remember coming through with those blokes? I know you were a couple of years younger than Paddo and Josh, but Mitchell as well, they played under-19s against each other. Is there sort of a, a recollection you have? I know you debuted to boo within two tests of each other and there's a lot spoken about in that respect, but just your first memories of junior cricket and, you know, realistically you were the big dogs in town type thing at these carnivals and so forth and sort of eyeing off someone like James Pattinson or playing alongside Josh Hazelwood or Mitchell Stark for the first time?
2: Yeah, I actually never had anything to do with any of them really until um, until I was part of the New South Wales squad. Um, so I think our first tour was we played the Champions League in 2011 over in India. Um, so we'd spent most of the pre season together, you know, Starkey and Joshy, but I'd literally only met them that pre season. And um, yeah, you know, when I'm f- probably 15, 16, those were the guys that were. Everyone's talking about, you know, a 17- or 18-year-old guy who bowls, bowls fast playing for New South Wales. So I was kind of privileged a year or two later when I felt like I was, you know, in the squad playing alongside them. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's we're talking a matter of years there, but that, that's, you know, 10 years ago. So we've um, you know, we've all been really good mates for the last 10 years.
1: It, it's I mean, you, you, you had it, though. I was speaking to Andrew Woo before of the Sydney Morning Herald, and he goes, oh, saw a photo of Pat Cummins bowling as a 12-year-old. Perfect
0: <laughs> Perfect <action. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> What well, is it like? I mean, those expectations. I mean, I, I think we did the great trick show once. Sam's told a story about you hitting a bail for six or something like that as a kid or whatever it is. Like, what your memories of sort of being 14 or 15 and people going, wow, this guy's going to play for Australia. Like, that's kind of a, a big rap when you're a it's kid in like year nine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah.
1: If, uh, I was trying to work out how to, uh, I like, like what I could set on fire and you know, like what I could steal from <laughs> yeah. the sides lab <laughs>
2: well i think there must be some confirmation bias in that because i'm sure there must be you know every second kid gets told that when they're that age but um true i had a couple of older brothers so i was always just trying to i was judging myself against them you know guys always a couple of years older um it probably was until i was i'd say 15 or 16 and um where i kind of felt like i could you know maybe scare scare the batter down the other end and and um and you know, no matter what, what he did to me, I felt like I could try and sniff a couple past his nose and, um, you know, be on top. But, um, yeah, I, I never really felt like I... He you know, always just played for the local district and you want to be one of the main players, but didn't really step outside against other people my age or, you know, a bit older.
0: So even though, you know, you exploded in 2011, and we'll come back to that, a lot of my memory of you is sort of the future being now was 2015, that tour game against Northampton. So you're, you know, drafted into the squad after not initially being in the 15. Josh is injured. If memory serves me correctly, you play the tour game. You don't play the Test match, but you know bowl very, very fast and scary here oh, like,
1: as well, wasn't it? Like there was some super quick spells here. Did you three play day, here? Yeah, I couldn't
2: really. I remember playing. I can't really remember what happened. But. Right. But what I remember about the was that you know we were commentating. Wasn't we? It was very
0: fast. It was very scary. And then you made eighty odd and got declared on. But it was as though after that sort of harrowing sixty all out at Nottingham the week before, which you know you would have experienced from the dressing room watching on, that. You, you sort of were green shoots in what was an otherwise a fairly old tour, like six guys in that team either finished their test careers then or, or finished shortly thereafter. Is that how it felt to you as well, that you were getting this opportunity at a really kind of really good time, even though there was an injury not long after that, but just then and there?
2: Yeah, I hadn't played a first-class... I think I might have played one Aussie A or maybe two Aussie As, but I hadn't played a first-class game since my 2011 debut. So I remember those these games here on tour just thinking... This is my start of my first class career again, really, and um, yeah, just felt like I, you know, played a couple of games. Felt like I bowled well. Um, I was disappointed to miss out on the on the last game. They picked, picked Sids, which was you know absolutely fine. He's bowling beautifully and, and does so well over here. Um, but but what I do remember was the, the there was a Bangladesh tour that was scheduled just after it. And I think Johnson and Joshy weren't going to go on that. So no. that was my, I was really eyeing off that as, you know, it's going to be my second test match coming back for that. And uh, that tour got cancelled, I'd got another crack in my back. So nothing eventuated. But, um, yeah, I saw that tour as kind of moving from three or four years previous of, of only playing white ball into... All right, my body's starting to get close to being able to play Red Bull again.
1: And, and it was still there. One thing I can tell you, because the commentary box used to be side on here, so, um, you know, it's call, calling from square leg, and you were quick in that, that game here at Derby. And then again in North Ants, where I spoke to you about this a couple of years ago, like, absolutely robbed of 100. You could have yeah, had a still cool I
2: told Speedy that the other day. <laughs> we, so were, we were fired He can't kind of remember it. Well, we were like, really fired up because
1: there was a couple of
0: things going on. First of all, you only just avoided the follow on at one. Australia about. Eight for a hundred or something. The follow-on was only a hundred because it was a yeah. two-day game, and then you come out and you know that that was that. But the decision to come out and have a second bowl from memory, or maybe just call the game off early and no, just, shake just hands. went home. It was shake hands, right? Yeah, away from a hundred
2: and shake hands. Come on, yeah, seven. on the bus back to Sydney, uh, back to London. But no, me and because I think Liner got fifty yeah, or right. forty. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. might have been his first first-class fifty. So no, we, we still enjoy that story over Colby. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the
0: there's the, uh, the oh, all out. What a game. I know, right? <laughs> it's the only
2: 60 thing. They can... were the only three who have ever recounted that game. Well, I, I always recount
0: it. It was my birthday that day, and I remember that night going out on the piss with Stephen Crook, who made 100. Um, yeah. The, it, he made 100. We went out yeah. pretty late, and then he came out and took four wickets the next day after that's being right. with us. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a, it was one of those sort of throwbacks. I gather that's probably how it was covering the Australian team 20 or 30 years ago, where <laughs> everyone would just kind of go out and... Go to the pub together or whatever it is and you'd play the next day. Because yeah. crookie had, you know, his international ambitions had, had
1: since mm. had, had long since gone by that part of his career. We just want to make sure that you get the credit for the innings because Australia could have lost by an innings to North Ants in two days. Yeah. First day's rained off, second day crook mates hundred and forty off eighty balls or whatever it is, carts everybody everywhere. They the next day he comes out takes three for nothing. Yeah. Australia's nearly bowled out short of the follow on, would have been following on with fifty overs to face. <laughs> and at most everyone was pretty much cooked in the head. And so you you know you saw the day, then. Oh, thanks,
0: okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some parallels between that, though, and when you came back, when you came into the Australian side, all the way back in 2011, let's go there, um, the 47 All Out day. I mean, Usman tells a story about how he had to run up and, clubs, down, the up and down the stairs over and over and over again yep. because he was 12th man. What You must have been 13th man, I guess. What, like, what are your memories of 47 All Out? And then the next week, it's like, okay, mate, well, we, we've just been, you know, we just had that route yeah. and come and fix it for us.
2: Well, um, I mean, everyone has a, a funny story about that. The, the, my favourite one is um, their coach who I think it was Gary Kirsten at this stage. Mm. I think his wife might have been going to labour in the morning. So he left the ground at two for you know 40 or something. And then he <laughs> came back a few, couple of hours later and they were two for 80. And he's, what's happening? We've only put on 30 or 40 runs. Oh, no, it's been 20 wickets. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I think we were two or three down at T and... Um, I actually went off to do a gym session with Trent Copeland and it was at the back of the ground so we couldn't hear a lot but you could just hear like muffled sounds yeah yeah every kind of couple of minutes right. and <laughs> suddenly we thought jeez we better check what the score is here and it was uh, it was 9 down <laughs> so 9 we, for 27 or whatever 9 it was. for 27 yeah. so we thought shit we've got to go and run and put our spikes on, because we're subfielders, so we cut our gym session short. It was about a (laughs) 30-minute gym session, and uh, I remember running around the sideline as as Lino and SIDS were putting on those extra few runs, but... um, Oh, incredible. Yeah, that was my first taste of test cricket. I remember waking up super nervous every day because I'd never seen anything like it. And I think Shane Watson took five for that morning before the 47. I just thought, "How hey, is this test cricket is easy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of must have felt that way the next week as well. Not, not easy, but, you know, the six for the winning runs the pinup boy on back page of everywhere in the country. I mean, there goes anonymity for you. Age 18, everyone knows your name, everyone knows what you look like.
2: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was, uh, yeah, I, I'd kind of left the tour. Um, I'd played a couple of games in New South Wales, and um, I'd never really, you know, the f- furthest I'd been away was kind of a, you know, maybe a month, uh, sorry, a week tour, you know, interstate for um, a Shield game. Suddenly I was on this, you know, 12-week cricket tour, so... Um, I just remember just coming back and felt like a different person. Suddenly, you know, I'd I'd played for Australia. I'd hung around thirty-five-year-olds for a couple of months. um, Traveled the world, (laughs) yeah, and um, yeah, kind of come back and you've you've gone from being a kind of an an anonymous, you know, um, you know, kind of hoping one day get a few games into you and and, um, yeah, kind of come back and suddenly got a lot of people kind of wanting your time and um, you know expectations and um, it was a great time yeah for sure
1: have you ever asked Brad Haddon about the shot that he played (laughs) during that batting collapse (laughs) yeah the charge pull shot I actually asked him a couple of days ago
2: (laughs) (laughs) I said I said oh sometimes you just get a good one don't you Brad and he said something oh yeah Uh, it was uh gonna move the game on or something I said it's going pretty fast (laughs) I
0: wanted to ask you about your body Bet <laughs> you What
2: specifically
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a little A month. little less oh. conversation A little more About your body So
0: 1,946 days I worked that Between Johannesburg And Ranchi When you play Your next test match Only a couple Of first class games You played for New South Wales The week before And you rushed over Paddo says no To coming over When he played For Victoria He said I don't want to Risk it again Being drafted Into a test squad Halfway through And breaking half For the 14th time You did do and did come over and bowled really well at Ranchi and, and you know Australia that doesn't win the series but again you come out of it um, with your reputation enhanced and your body's pretty much been right with one small exception ever since so i know the the ca medical staff used to brief us about this and say that no no he'll be right when he gets to about 24 or 25 he's built perfectly no dramas just about getting through this this last growth phase or, or something like that but is that how you feel now that when you run out there to bowl you don't have to consider um you know those ailments that, that kept you off the park for so long you can just run in there and never really worry about your back ever again
2: yeah for sure and they got it. A- pretty much beyond, on um which is kind of hard as a 20 year old to, to take that you can't really control too much other than trying to grow up um but no it's, it's been great I've been really lucky since I kind of came back that um in 2017 um kind of before that that um that test series where I came back I, I felt like I played quite a lot of one-day cricket and you just you just know subconsciously my body wasn't um, you know, I wasn't waking up as sore as I was a couple of years ago. I, you know, I felt like I could go and bowl a couple of days in a row. Um, you know, got through a shield game and I was waking up fine. I was felt like I could you know bowl bowl all day and I was fine. So it's I don't know what specifically clicked, but it just kind of felt like a couple of years of momentum of, of playing some white ball cricket and, and getting a little bit older and just bowling. Moreover, just kind of all added up. Um, but yeah, it's been really good since I'm. Um, you know, it's, I think that, that first home summer, Ashes was five back-to-back tests and that was a, a kind of leading into that. It's uh, it's just an unknown. You kind of hope you're going to play five, you hope you're going to get through it, but I'd never done anything like it. And kind of once I got through that, I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm over. Uh, you know, I've bowled plenty of balls here, so my, I know my body's okay. Getting
1: through a couple of days at a time is exactly what you did have to do at at Ranchi, the Rancho Relaxo. Um, It's the kind of pitch that made Mitchell (laughs) Johnson retire, you know, dead flat, Pajara makes 200, you're you're bowling for days. But I think you said that you just felt so happy to be there. You were just like, fuck it, I'm just going to go in and just go as hard as I can and and relish it.
2: That's it. And it was the middle of a series, and the first two tests were two of the best test matches you ever see. And I was like every other Australian sitting at home watching that. Just getting nervous um, Getting excited Before each day's play And suddenly I'm on the plane And I'm in the middle of it So um, It was Incredibly easy To get up for Even if it was uh, Yeah A long slog in the dirt Um, You're playing test cricket It's You know if If you're not gonna If you're trying to save yourself In test cricket Well I don't know what you're saving yourself for So Just kind of it was almost like the handbrake was off. I'm at the uh, I'm at the end goal, so just let loose.
0: It, it was inst- instructive, really, that in in Bangladesh a few months later that they used you as the solo pace bowler in Chittagong. Like you go from being, you know, <laughs> let's protect this guy, cotton wool for as long as possible. To oh well, we back his body now. We you know we, we think he can do what needs to be done. And, and I guess in in some respects that 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 washes through to post-ashes in South Africa as well. We're not going to go through, you know, the well-documented stuff that, that happened over there. But, um, you know, it, it is kind of washed over there a little bit that on that first day in Cape Town, um, before all hell broke loose, you bowl like a nine-over spell, take four wickets in the spell, five for the day, perhaps the best you've bowled for Australia. Um, I'm not saying that people would necessarily remember it from that test, but, again, it was reflective of the fact that uh, as if you would bowl nine overs on the spin in a test match after tea with the old ball, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, uh, I probably, yeah, I think it's just part of test screen. That's why I love it. Um, You know, there's a couple of times throughout the Ashes where, um, yeah, you kind of feel like you've got to step up and bowl those big spells. It probably wasn't, yeah, you're right, till Cape Town where I, yeah, I I remember actually bowling really poorly that morning. Uh, Probably the worst I'd bowled in a couple of... um, you know, maybe ever in Test Cricket and then I just kind of thought, jeez, I need to put my finger out here. I'm, I'm going to be a passenger and, um, yeah, you just, you know, if you find another gear, so everything came together, but, um, yeah, if you've, got, if you've got to play Test Cricket, you've got, you've got to be able to buy those long spells.
1: It seemed like watching on, though, that you, after everything went to shit, you were one of the few players who wasn't completely sidetracked by that. Like, you, the end of the match in Cape Town on that last day when things were, you know, things sucked, you were still doing your best and then when you went to Joburg you know you bowled tremendously took five uh, came out and made 60 after a batting collapse like you know you hadn't given it up you were, you were still in that fight
2: yeah I don't know I don't know why or how but um I think I, at the time I said and I kind of it's all a bit hazy now but I, I almost felt like being out there on the cricket field was actually a bit of a release it was um you hand your phone in you don't have to think about anything else and um you can kind of be judged on just what you do out in the cricket field and it's for me, you know, that's the same reason why as a as a ten year old you you go out and play, you just wanna go out and do your thing and enjoy it and play and um yeah, I don't specifically remember other than I just remember thinking, you know, it's a test match, someone's gotta take wickets. Someone's got to put their hand up and, um, you know, I'll try my best and, and force you got a few wickets.
0: I think it's the first of many times I've written you should captain Australia one day after that day because in the second innings you take five more, four more, five more? Four more, Four yeah. more and then you spoke really forcefully after the game about the, the, the pre-planned bullying that went on and, you know, you just thought it was a waste of energy and you and Tim seem to be um, allied in what you were saying it was like quite a positive message to take away that these senior players kind of got what had happened and, and why it had happened And I guess last year when India were on the rampage at Melbourne they're on the cusp of really embarrassing you in the Boxing Day test as you again big bag of wickets you know could have taken eight or nine, if not for circumstances at the end, then make more runs to, you know, take Australia from a terrible situation to a halfway passable one by the end of it. You get made vice captain, you win the AB medal, you're the number one ranked fast bowler in the world. Like there's these things that you're ticking these boxes one after another. (laughs) Seems to be you do your best work when the team's, you know, suffering from some sort of adversity. But these leadership qualities start, you know, um, we start observing it, we start talking about it, we start writing about it. and you are made vice captain. Like, is this something that you've started thinking about more, even just standing at fine leg or mid on, thinking, All right? If I were, if I were in charge of this side, if Tim breaks a finger and I've got to pull the strings here, how I would go about pulling those strings? Is that, is that started to sort of enter your mainframe a little bit?
2: It has, yeah, a little bit more since probably being made vice captain um, for for probably you know since I, I don't think I've captained the side since I was probably fifteen or sixteen, maybe, and. and Ever since then, I've always been the youngest bloke in the side. Um, so you kind of sit back, listen, observe, see what's going on, but, you know, you don't really have a lot of responsibility or, um, you know, too many decisions to make until, yeah, I guess being being vice-captain, you just... It's probably the first, thing I, first time I've actually been aware and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just take a little bit more notice, um, trying to help out where I can, Um for me, I, as a bowler, I feel like I can control you know, what I do in my fields and what I'm trying to do. So I've always got a pretty clear plan, but um, you know, I've had to go and captain a spinner and set a field to that. I'd never done that before, so trying to be a little bit more aware just to, in case I ever see anything I can pass on to Payne, but um, yeah, it's, I think you kind of always innately have it as a, as a bowler.
1: I just want to embarrass you here while we're doing the Pat Cummins love-in. Um, after the Joburg test, I interviewed Faf place and I asked him about your role in the series, um, and I'm not going to do his accent, but just imagine this in the back. This was his quote. <laughs> shirt on what or you? shirt off? Uh, shirt off, yeah. <laughs> shirt, shirt off for yeah. the quote. Right. Yeah. Um, he said, he's an exceptional player. We would sit on the side of the field and just admire what he does. We'd say, look at this guy. He's still running in and bowling quick. He's diving at balls when he's just finished an eight-over spell. He's got runs in the series. As a batter, I definitely felt he was the biggest challenge. He's a nice guy, Pat. You enjoy it when nice guys do well, even opposition, the good people of the game. I'm now doing his accent by accident. <laughs> We're looking forward to having him be a now with the Australian team. Could, could, you know, what does that mean to you to have that kind of regard from from an opposition captain like that?
2: Yeah, that's special. That's that's really nice from Faf. Um, yeah, you kind of you, you play and you want to be liked by your teammates, and um, you know, if you if you hear fans enjoying it, you know, other other um, opposition or umpires or something. Um, you know that that that's sometimes even nicer because they they're judging you on what they see um kind of at times when you're most stressed sometimes or under duress out in the field so um yeah it's really nice for faff you didn't have to say that or return the favor one day
1: we never had a shirt off showdown between faff and Watto. like <laughs> i ima- <and> mean <laughs> imagine it was <laughs> i mean the the shirt off game hasn't been the same since shane watson left the team has it
2: uh no, well, yeah, Dave. Dave Warner's back page of the paper tomorrow. Keep an eye on that one. Um, but it's no watto in the Lord's changing room <sighs> on the balcony, is it? No. Marcus Stoinis would have a crack, I reckon. Marcus Stoinis would like to change it. But yeah, that was very funny. I remember. I, I saw that
0: when you finished up in the World Cup, you went away and got away from cricket, went to France, read some books, ignored the game, ignored you know people knowing who you were and that kind of thing is it becky your partner she's not from cricket background from the uk is is that i mean it sounds like that's quite a positive thing for you having someone outside of all this and you know that can be removed from cricket and you can get away from the limelight when as and when
2: yeah i enjoy it um obviously every day we spend around cricket stuff so um for me i quite like getting home or back to the hotel room and having um yeah, Becky who's no idea whether I took Fife or went for none for two hundred, which is good. So um, yeah, it's you know, as we're we're on tour kind of ten months of the year, eleven months of the year. So um, personally, you know, some people love it and, and can can concentrate on cricket twenty four seven. For me, I'm, I need to switch off sometimes or else I, I just get drained. So um, yeah, she's She's good. She knows the rules now. I went, my first, uh, she came and watched. I think it was my first uh, Big Bash game that she came and saw. And I fielded one at cover, and I threw down the stumps. Batter was well in. It went for four overthrows, and I got home. And she said, "Oh, well done. You hit the sticks. how is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you got that one wrong." <laughs> so she's learned a bit more now.
0: <laughs> in, in, in closing on that front, I got to tell you this before we turn the microphones off. Last year, I don't know if you saw me. I don't think you did. I walked past you, in well, actually, we'll, we'll tell this story properly. I, w- I was walking with a colleague. Uh, through Luxembourg Gardens and I go to a mate of mine oh look at that bloke Instagram husband look at him look at him Instagram husband ah
2: uh, here we so go Taking. um, <laughs>
0: look at this look at this here we go and then Vish goes Looks. It's, it's like Pat Cummins I double take from about 50 yards that absolutely is oh, Pat Cummins no and I cross referenced it later in the day that indeed you had been performing the role as Instagram oh, husband <laughs> <laughs> so good to see that notwithstanding the fact you're a, uh, you know number <laughs> one ranked bowler in the world
2: you've got important domestic well that's before. even more draining than bowling 20 overs <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pat Cummins you've been a great sport as always thank you you so much for having a chat to us and being part of The Final Word.
2: Easy. Thanks, boys. Cheers for having me. I'm
1: Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word.
0: I'm Adam Collins. Uh, He's Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word. Jeff is uh, now a a two-time author. Well, you've written more books than that, but in terms of your cricket uh, catalogue, it'll extend to a second book because you finished it. It's 9.30 on a Saturday night. What have you got planned?
1: Um probably going to watch Lovecraft Country, which is what I was making the joke about before that probably wouldn't have made sense to a lot of people because I don't think it's a super famous show. But um, I haven't been able to just watch television for the last, I don't know, weeks or months because I've had to be working and feeling guilty constantly when I'm not working. Maybe I'll have a whiskey, you know. It's like just, it's going to be nice. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be restrained. But I don't have to write a book today. I don't have to edit a book today. I don't have to read my own writing today. I'm so sick of my own writing. I hope other people like it, but... I do not want to see it again. If you're one of our patrons, you can read uh, a preview chapter that
0: Jeff wrote. He's probably edited it quite a bit since then, but
1: uh, it's totally different now. Yeah, as I predicted, it's, t- it's very, very different. But th- it's interesting to have the early. Draft. That's right. So, yeah, yeah, that's, go, that's part go, of the chart. So free. jump
0: on the patron page and read an early edition of, of Jeff's opening chapter. I've read a couple of the chapters back, and it is fabulous. So we know this summer there's going to be a very special point in the in the final word timeline when we're going to be talking a lot about this book. But congratulations to Jeff for that. I'm going to to go and grab myself some lunch i'm going to Thank enjoy you. my what, yeah. as they call it my dark day in the business when you're um, when you're waiting yeah. around for the next thing to start i didn't know this until a couple of days ago but now we're in the bubble we have things called dark days and
1: i'm going to enjoy the rest of that but by, it doesn't sound very good like when, when you say i've had a lot of dark days this year yeah you know, that's not what it means no, i'm going
0: to i'm going to go and do a lap of the concourse and then i'm going to walk out to the golf course
1: why don't you go and interview pat cummins slap Go and interview Pat Cummins. Know, go and
0: well, get his views. Find out well, what he people thinks. are always saying. Adam, you're fucking lazy. And then I'm going to go and hit. I'm going yeah. to hit no fewer than 100 golf balls at the range with Ali Mitchell, who we're going to get on the show. By the way, not next didn't week, he? but the week after. I didn't tell you this yet, Jeff, either. But Ali Mitchell is going to join the final word when we're in Manchester in the bubble okay. um, next week. The life and times of uh, the uh, brilliant broadcaster from the BBC. But, yeah, she and I are going to the driving range. And that's probably a good place for us to leave it. Thank you to c by Super. Uh, thank you to Pat Cummins uh, from way back when. But I'm really glad we were able to give that another roll. And we'll be back to talk about uh, the, the really interesting uh, T20 International Series between Australia and England, probably on Tuesday night. It'll be in your feeds on Wednesday. For now, have a nice weekend. So you
1: know See you. I had to go about it, write it out and
2: find it myself. And there's some stories I